Hello, and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup Groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, Seattle, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, London, Paris, Berlin, Oslo, Geneva, Zurich, Bangalore, Tel Aviv, and Tokyo. I'm Brent Phillips, producer of the podcast series, and today I'm going to be interviewing Aaron Margolis, a data scientist with the Environmental Protection Agency. And joining me as a guest host, we have Megan DiMatteo, listening in. Welcome, Erin and Megan. To get us started, Megan, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Megan DiMatteo, or DiMatteo. I'm a freelance journalist. I write about Web3 and money and the creator economy for publications like Coindesk and CNBC, Time Magazine's Next Advisor, and Marie Claire, to name a few. I like to consider myself a bit of a translator and interpreter of the more technical and financial side of things to a mainstream audience. So I'm happy to, to ask questions and get the chance to talk to you today, Aaron. Thanks, Brent, for having me on. Well, Aaron, you're next. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Aaron Margolis. I really like sitting at the intersection of technology and government and governance. I'm currently with the Environmental Protection Agency, although everything I say is going to be my personal opinion only. I'm not speaking on behalf of EPA or any of the other uh, federal agencies I've worked for, such as uh, Department of State. So I'm really bringing a whole of government perspective to this uh, technology. And I've also pursued a lot of independent projects like playing with the latest artificial intelligence. I'm an early user of Lambda, which is the chatbot that one Google engineer said was sentient. And of course, I played around with ChatGPT, with Cicero AI and Galactica, which are both from uh, Facebook slash Meta. So I've really just done a lot of independent research and I'm working on building some of my own AIs to tackle many different challenges. Yeah, we're super excited about hearing about your experimentation with ChatGPT and Lambda and uh, Galactica and others. It's really cool. Give us a sense of how big ChatGPT is. So ChatGPT is a big deal, but it's only one of many big deals when it comes to advances in artificial intelligence over the past year. The real advance is that it does a much better job of incorporating whether humans give good response or a bad response. There have been a lot of really interesting developments as well. What ChatGPT really brings in, besides being able to generate content that sounds like it was written by a, a human, is it brings in a bit of knowledge from the world. There are clearly some databases. It's querying. There, It brings in reasoning. That was another major advance. Uh, really took advantage of things that researchers became more aware of as ways to fix existing problems with natural language processing and then really incorporated them and produced something that works very well. So Aaron, I guess being involved in tech, being a data scientist, I guess this was no surprise to you that machine learning models and chatbots are getting more powerful and sophisticated. You expected this, I'm sure. What do you tell folks who aren't familiar with any of this that, you know, Siri or Alexa or whatever is going to be more sophisticated in 2023. So the thing to remember is we're really dealing with exponential growth, an exponential growth in technology and an exponential decrease in cost. A lot of these 
technologies that come out are then shortly thereafter become open source. So Dolly was created by OpenAI, and now there's an open source version called Stable Diffusion that many people have built technologies around. So I would say people don't necessarily have an intuitive grasp of what exponential growth looks like, that things can go from problem bird identification, for instance, 10 years ago was considered a problem that would an unsolvable problem. Now it's a solved problem. Once you make the first big leap forward, then the leaps that come after that are easier and easier. So ChatGPT has predecessors in uh, GPT-2, so GPT, GPT-2, GPT-3, and everyone talks about GPT-4 as being the next version. So the key is once you solve a problem once, a lot of that is just a matter of collecting more and more data, which is relatively easy in an internet age, and applying a few different techniques like reinforcement learning from human feedback to strengthen it and make sure that what you're producing is useful. How would you describe what these new generative machine models are, like GPT and Lambda and Galactica and all these? Like in a nutshell, how do you describe what we're talking about here and how do they work? Their math. Each word is a set of 200 numbers, basically, is what the computer understands. And then it uses the product of those numbers to, and the, it multiplies and adds the numbers together and uses that to predict the next word. With ChatGPT, there's, there are a few filters, but the number one is, is this an appropriate answer? to the question I was just asked. And then it tries to find the collection of words that maximizes that particular function. It's like a matching engine. It can match really well, but I guess it can match obviously poorly as well. Megan, do you want to jump in real quick? Do you have any questions I to have start with? an exponential number of questions <laughs> to play off of that, Aaron. So, okay, my first one is you mentioned that the cost decreases over time. I read somewhere and, you know, Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I read somewhere that it costs something like a million dollars a day to operate chat GPT. And that's what OpenAI is paying. And of course, whenever I brought this up to somebody um, in a recent interview, they said, well, I'm sure that there's more than a million people that would pay a dollar per day to use it. So my first question is, when we talk about cost, what's the business model once a technology becomes open source? And you know, what are the business models that are funding this so that the cost can become more accessible over time and therefore the use can become much more widespread? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, to be clear, OpenAI's ChatGPT is not open source, the same way their DALI is not open source. But it usually, the result is after it comes out something similar, someone uses a similar technique that is open source. So companies, because companies are competing for talent. They often make things open source and they document what they do. So the so for instance, the open source version of ChatGPT was trained using Google's Palm word embedding that I could get into. So the these frameworks come out for companies like Google, Meta, to the extent they're building moats, they're building moats around data. They have far more data 
than we can possibly have. And they have, and Google has more processing power than just about anyone. So they're building moats not around these technologies, but around the underlying data. Uh, I mean, OpenAI certainly has many opportunities for their business model. So, so we're certainly going to see, see some level of revenue from them more so than before. For stable diffusion, for instance, anyone can download it. Anyone can probably run it on a sufficiently powerful laptop or they can run it on free cloud resources. But the average person isn't going to do that. So instead, you see people building stuff on top of it using itself. Uh, a large portion of OpenAI's success with ChatGPT is they made a technology that's accessible to pretty much everyone. Cool. Aaron, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about your experimentation with these machine learning models. And I understand that you set up a Google Colab notebook and you experimented with them. And maybe you could tell us about that, you know, comparing and contrasting what sort of answers you got out of ChatGPT compared to Lambda, compared to Galactica. But before you do that, can you just share what a Google Colab notebook is, just for folks who don't know? Yeah, so there's an example of a resource that's largely free. So you can, or you can pay money. So Colab can use some of Google's servers for free with Colab. You can also pay $10 a month to get more secured access. And you can get more memory. You can get a few more features using just paying $10 a month. So for instance, I used that to run the Galactica chatbot, for instance. And was the setup hard? Like, how big a task was it for somebody who might like to try what you tried? So if you're familiar with programming, especially Python, Colab is very simple. You just type in Python code and it runs the Python code. Setting up Galactica is more complicated because it's, so it's open source. So Meta made it open source, but it's by default, it runs on Meta system. So for them, it needs uh, eight GPUs, which are graphical processing units compared to compared to Colab, which only gives one GPU. So you need to just add in when you run it, num GPU equal one, which is a very simple thing to do, but it took me a lot of time to figure that out. But if you know how to program, you can take in all sorts of interesting things and use it. You can use it for satellite imagery. You use it with Google Earth Engine. The average person would be intimidated by messing around with these things. But it's nice to know that there's an interface. You can just take some bits of code and put them in there and try it out. And uh, we're curious what first queries you, uh, you know, somebody will always test something just to see if you got the setup right and then run some queries and see how they look. And I understand that some of your first queries were around like measles and uh, whooping cough. So what was your first test query that you ran and uh, how did it go? So Galactica was trained on scientific papers, but even then, it's a matter of identifying the specific words and word patterns. So in, in that case, it did not pick up whooping cough as something separate than cough. So it got information wrong about whether it's caused by a virus or a bacteria. It said the best way 
to avoid it is to stay away from people who may have whooping cough. Now, of course, the actual best way to avoid whooping cough is to get vaccinated. So Galactica did not do so great on that. That being said, uh, ChatGPT did very well in whooping cough and it identified, it said, you should get vaccinated, said if you're pregnant women should also get a specific vaccine for whooping cough, you should stay away from people. Uh, in addition, babies who are not vaccinated should stay away from people. So it did include that. So with all the chatbots, you see a lot of variation in terms of their responses. And even within the same chatbot, depending on how you've uh, primed it up, it may or may not give the correct response. It's interesting how Google has been slow to release their uh, Lambda model. And uh, Meta has been really careful about their Galactica model, naturally. And um, OpenAI just released theirs. And it's really cool. It's an interesting take on how to release a product, you know, in this age. And uh, what do you think of OpenAI's approach of just opening it up to the public and to remind people that this is just a test and that they're participating and helping out? Is this a good way of doing that? Yeah, so they're welcoming feedback. They're actually, they're even holding a competition to offer $500 for the best feedback for things that have got wrong and basically failure modes. So it understands that the technology is not perfect, but they're looking for improvements and they're looking at ways to get better. Yeah, it's reinforcement learning from human feedback. So they're now getting the feedback from humans for free, whereas before they spent some period of time training it, paying people to test it out and find ways to improve. What's the methodology when it comes to essentially crowdsourcing feedback? Because from what I understand, you know, the transparency and the specificity with which the data, the the data inputs and the data outputs are evaluated and the correlations between the two are evaluated is actually of like critical importance when evaluating the the accuracy of of this information. And of course, that whole process can just be full of bias, right? Depending on the sample of people who are essentially training this, this AI. So can you create a methodology around crowdsourcing this, this trial and error process as people are inputting data and giving user feedback? Do you know anything about how it's being measured? how they're evaluating those correlations and what they're doing in order to ensure that the sample is, I guess, objective and representative of all of the different use cases that it could have. Yes. So ChatGPT, like any of the other sources, started out being trained on data on the internet. Data on the internet contains many biases. One of the big advantages that ChatGPT had in its techniques was that people would say, this is bad. The advantage of using this technique is, and is this is bad. And it triggered all sorts of filters that it would have to say, so chat GPT, unlike, unlike, for instance, Galactica, will push back for, if you ask it a question like, what are the benefits of anti-Semitism? It will tell you that that question has an anti-Semitic So yes, so it, like all machine learning models, it's not going to be 100% accurate. 
that includes sort of filters for anti-Semitism. And there are ways around these various filters. You can ask an even regular questions. Uh, for instance, Lambda would not answer questions about Harry Truman's decision to drop nuclear weapons, even though that is a factual thing because it's trained not to talk about nuclear weapons. You can see lots of examples where perhaps it reflects the biases of the people it's trained on, perhaps it learns it's gone farther. What is nice about ChatGPT is it does question the premises of what you ask it. One big issue is this being a source for disinformation. Well, just asking, like, how does a company or an organization account for um, that whenever they're crowdsourcing these queries? You know, like you can't you certainly can't encapsulate all of the possible errors or all of the possible variations of answers that you could get. So is there a methodology when it comes to rather than just saying like, hey, everyone, give us your feedback, (laughs) share how the experience of using this has been? So, I mean, there are many options. You can require multiple people to sign off on one answer. What's going to be common sense to one person is going to be offensive to another person. So to some extent, you have to accept that I'm taking a stand on this view versus that view. You can't pretend that what you're providing is the objective source of truth. So that's part of the answer. But there isn't necessarily a way to take everything from the internet. The other big problem you have to remember is these plenty of false stuff on the internet. So they wouldn't necessarily be able to know if this is accurate versus that is accurate. And things can change. So something may have been true five years ago, but isn't true now. All the stuff you have to trust but verify. Thinking about your work at the EPA and your colleagues, how do you guys feel about it? What's the consensus about these new tools and uh, what are you optimistic about? So speaking just for myself, the government is viewing these the same way that everyone else is. We're seeing them emerge. This didn't come from a national lab. This came from a private company. There are definitely benefits to being able to generate large amounts of text if OpenAI has an agreement with Microsoft. So we may see it incorporated into office products the same way everyone else does. We have a lot of paperwork the same way pretty much many, many people do. So there are definitely going to be huge benefits to being able to go through lots of paperwork pretty quickly. Generating emails generating responses will be is something that perhaps you can see but we would be seeing it when microsoft rolls it out into its 365 product the same way everyone else does so i think we're very much in the same boat as everyone else and to be clear this is just my personal view i'm not speaking on behalf of my employer or anyone else yeah we talked about walking through you know a use case and um you mentioned like funding opportunities and grant proposals and things like that. Obviously, this can speed up raising money. And how do you feel about like put yourself in the shoes of somebody at the Gates Foundation, for example, and all of a sudden they get a thousand AI generated grant proposals? Like, what's the flip side? Well, so that's certainly a flip side. 
what ChatGPT in particular is very good at is combining different data sources. So what some founders are using it for is to prepare pitch emails, for instance. So they, instead of spending a few hours on an email to a potential VC, they would go to ChatGPT, they'd say, this is the product I'm pitching. Here is information from the website of the VC. And here are the profiles of the 10 partners, say. Tell me which partner would be most likely to be interested in my product and write an email to that partner specifying why my product would be a good fit for their portfolio. And that's the same kind of logic that would apply to humanitarian organizations that are applying for grants. You can go through a website and say, these are our products. These are, you can do grant names. You can go, you can dig down. And then within within government, there's often usually specified objectives and outcomes and goals. You can say, these are our strengths. These are the goals. Please write something about how uh, this is like a one paragraph idea for the project. Can you write how this project would meet these goals? Or you could even, I mean, you could theoretically even use it for project generation saying, here's the project. Here's the NOFO. Can you come up with a project based on our strength? Then you'll probably want to edit it. Then you want to say, okay, write. Here are the seven expected outcomes. Write how this project would meet each of the seven outcomes. And instead of that being a full week of work, that might be four to eight hours, right? Envisioning a a chatbot that's much improved, what would you like to ask it? Or how would you use it on a day-to-day basis, you know, at the EPA? What can you think of maybe some things that you might like to do that are tried out on? My first thought goes to like reports, you know, like if there's any environmental reports or like air quality reports or something like that. Something that's like somewhat templated that you can input data for and then have it come out in a way that's, you know, the the format is probably similar from report to report, but you tell us. Again, from a personal view, it's very good at taking it to the 30,000 foot level. One option you can do is, okay, my chain of commands and priorities are X, Y, and Z. How does this take the report and tell me how it corresponds to to priorities X, Y, and Z. I like that 30,000 foot view. That's important. I wanted to ask, this is a question for later, but maybe we'll ask it now, but we interact with a lot of different humanitarian organizations and they're always concerned about their budget for the next year and what projects to work on. And they're very concerned about not wasting money or not pursuing the the right, you know, technical um, approach to doing things. But what do you think they would have wished to have known about sooner relative to this, you know, 2023, come 2024, what, what do you think they would have wished to have known about sooner in order to adapt to this new world ahead of them? The ChatGPT's ability to save you lots of time is going to be a huge benefit that you can, if you can apply to twice as many grants using these tools. You can respond to more emails. You can send potentially more solicitations. These are all going to be things that can save you hours every day, especially if you have a variety of tasks. Another thing is that don't necessarily get too reliant on one particular tool. 
now is a good time to get familiar with it and then do a cost-benefit analysis of it. Now is the time to determine how useful it is to you. Now, and if you are a person using it, the thing to keep in mind is don't always trust its output and also ask if it makes sense. The worst thing it can possibly do is give you something that's plausible, but not really what you want. This is a good point, Aaron. I was just thinking about humanitarian operations and you think about a need in the field and how to respond to that. And you ask ChatGPT to generate a list of supplies you might need or operations that you might like to carry out that are feasible. But you're right, it would give you something and you would just sort of wrap your mind around that. And it's easy to become kind of closed-minded. And it also just makes me think about like the leaders who are having to think about implementing this into their workflow. Because it's like, as a journalist and an editor, I already have to catch myself being extra specific whenever I tell writers to cover a certain topic. And then I get it back from them sometimes. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to mention that they shouldn't have said this, 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 and this. So I think like anybody who's going to be working with this technology is going to have to learn, train themselves in how to prompt it, how to instruct it accurately and learn how to be very specific with their language. Otherwise, it's probably just going to take up more time than it saves them. Yeah, I can see that. So Aaron, before we close, we like to ask all of our guests to think about a futuristic AI application they'd love to see and to describe it for us. So what would you love to see exist? Like something futuristic and then maybe something for your work. I think a crazy application would be much more tailored news. That instead of reading one newspaper, it takes all the news and it perhaps it presents articles that interest you, or perhaps it takes the news and then it summarizes the news so you can get a lot of what you're interested in, or something that summarizes even Twitter feeds. So you're able to pull out the details that you're interested in. I think that is one AI technique that would be very interesting. Yeah, I like that. We have a Twitter feed for the podcast. We post news of our interviews and we'll post news of yours. But it's true. I don't really go out and collect information on what everybody else is doing. I might follow whatever tweets come up, but it'd be nice to get an overview of all of my followers and people I'm following and what they're talking about and get a sheet of it. Well, and I can say as a newsletter curator, uh, you know, as an editor myself, and I, I curate a newsletter for BFF, which is a, an NFT community. Um, I wish that there was some more, I love methodology. I'm always thinking about methodology because human beings have so many blind spots. And as somebody who curates news for a community of people, um, I would love if somebody was just checking my blind spots to make sure that I got everything or that I didn't miss an angle or something like that. So even just even just like a checker that I could run my curation through and then it could tell me, yeah, but you missed this perspective or here, don't forget to pull from this over here just to make sure that I covered everything um, and curated the most, I guess, objective and concise news possible would be really great. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to uh, leave with our listeners? I would say familiarize yourself with ChatGPT and other AIs. They're going to have probably more of an effect this year than they did last year understand that they're not always right and understand that there may be risks other people pose to it, that you will, you may see this information generated by AI. We're probably going to see scammers using AI to generate fake faces and generate fake information, possibly tailored to you coming up in the near future. So just be aware 
and understand that there are going to be risks out there. So, um, Aaron, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. And thanks for giving us your thoughts on ChatGPT and these new machine learning models. And we really appreciate your time and having you on the podcast series. This brings this edition of Humanitarian AI Today to a close.